friends, turn with me now, if you would, to First uh, Samuel chapter 17. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle. And they were gathered at Sukkah, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Sukkah and Azekah in Ephraim's damming. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah, and drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, with a valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs, and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. And his shield bearer went before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves, and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now David was the son of an Ephrathite of Bethlehem in Judah named Jesse, who had eight sons. In the days of Saul, the man was already old and advanced in years. The three oldest sons of Jesse had followed Saul to, to the battle. And the names of his three sons who went to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, and next to him, Abinadab, and the third, Shammah. David was the youngest. The three eldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward and took his stand, morning and evening. And Jesse said to David his son, Take for your brothers an ephah of this parched grain and these ten loaves, and carry them quickly to the camp to your brothers. Also take these ten cheeses to the commander of their thousand. See if your brothers are well, and bring some token from them. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper and took the provisions and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line, shouting the war cry. And Israel and the Philistines drew up for the battle, army against army. And David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. As he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. And David heard them. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. 
And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the same way, so shall it be done to the man who kills him. Amen. And we thank God for his word tonight and pray that he would write its truth on our hearts. You're probably aware of the story of Peter Cartwright. Uh, Peter Cartwright was a Methodist preacher in the United States of America. Uh, they called him the backwoods preacher. He would get on a horse, he would leave his wife and kids behind, and out he would go preaching the gospel to the Native Americans in the wilderness uh, in that growing nation at the time. Uh, there was a night that Peter Cartwright was asked to preach in Washington. Uh, they knew that he was a bit of a firebrand, and so somebody came close to him beforehand and said, uh, Mr. Cartwright, please know that the president is in tonight just to be aware of that. Uh, to which Peter Cartwright got up, and the first thing he said, I hear President Jackson is here tonight. If he doesn't repent, then he will be condemned to hell. Boom. Straight in, uh, like Jerry Flynn, as we used to say. You'll not know who Jerry Flynn is, but that was, that was Peter Cartwright. And at times we, we hear stories like that, and we smile, and we think, wow, that's, that's fantastic. That's that's amazing. Imagine being able to get up and do that. Imagine being able to get up and, and be as bold as that. But, but when it comes down to it, we shrink back. There's a, a little bit of fear in us, a little bit of worry that, that perhaps if we are as bold, then people won't like us. Perhaps if we are as passionate, we might lose friends. Perhaps if we get up and go for it like that, then we'll, we'll not be invited back. I was doing a school assembly recently. Teacher beforehand was telling me about previous ministers that had been in to do assemblies, and she said there was this one guy, and, and like he just got up and he told the children that they needed to trust Christ, and like you know, just not appropriate. And I'm thinking I have ten minutes to figure out how to say exactly that with, without uh, annoying this out all. So I just thought, you know what, Scott, just go for it, and I did. There you go. But that's the day and age we're in. It's not appropriate. Don't rock the boat. Don't be too forthright. Don't, don't be too bold. Don't, don't be too fearless. And folks, the reality is often we don't need any encouragement to, to shrink back. At times I read about Peter Cartwright and I think, wouldn't that be brilliant? But the older I get, the more kind of nervous and fearful I get. I wouldn't say that I'm past it, but when the postman calls at about quarter past ten on the morning, and he wraps the door with a parcel, I've turned into my mind, I'll, I'll go make sure all the door is locked, the snibs on, and everything else, and I'll say, who is it? Who is it? And it's daylight, it's morning time, it's Fergus the postman, and you're thinking, this could be anybody, this could be anybody. Jenny, it's half past four in the afternoon, put the, put the lock on the door, close the curtains, you know, hide away, we're, we're getting a wee bit like that, fearful in the face of an ever-darkening world. And yet Peter Cartwright doesn't stand alone in the church of Jesus Christ to be fearless. Polycarp, of course, you will know the famous story of him, the Bishop of Smyrna, and he refused to denounce Christ even though it cost him his life. He was literally 
burnt at the stake because he would not burn incense to Caesar. Later on in history, there was John Bunyan who was told and tormented in prison, why, why don't you just promise not to preach and you'll get home and you'll see your wife and, and your children, you'll be able to provide for them, they were incredibly poor, just promise that you'll not preach and we'll let you out. John Bunyan said, if you release me today, then I will preach tomorrow. And there was, of course, William Tyndale who wanted English men and women to have the gospel in their own tongue. And Henry VIII didn't fancy that. It maybe said something about wives and not divorcing them or having them killed or anything like that. So William Tyndale was strangled to death and then burnt, and his remains were blew up with gunpowder. And just before he died, he prayed that God would open the king's eyes. Fearless. And then tonight there was John, who I didn't know he was going to say that, but Elder Choi who would not bend the knee, even though the Japanese told him he was going to have to. And there's this man whose blood was shed because he would not denounce Christ and follow the anti-Christian religion of Shinto Buddhism. Friends, tonight I don't come to lambast you about your lack of faith or to try and get you to be more fearless. Probably if you are like me, you're already feeling guilty about those things. But I pray tonight that you will be encouraged, and I pray tonight that as the Lord works, as his word is preached and the spirit moves, that our faith would increase in strength just a little bit. See, as we come into 1 Samuel chapter 17, there is an absolute massive reason to shrink. The people wanted Saul to be their king, and the Lord says, I will be your king. Kings will make you fight for them. Kings will take your daughters and marry them. Kings will take your money and cause you to pay taxes. I will be your king. And of course, we know the story. They want the king. Saul is that king. Saul disobeys God. Saul turns his back on the Lord. And so the Lord's anointing is removed from Saul. And David has been anointed as the new king. And we see the Lord's warnings all working out as we get into chapter 17. Because the people of Israel are lined up against their enemies, the Philistines. They're on one side of the mountain from each other. There's going to be a fight. There's going to be a battle. And in true Hollywood style, surely Saul is going to ride out in big shiny armor, screaming for England and King George or something like that, uh, and killing all the Philistines. But, but that's not how it works. Because as we pick up the story, there's a nine-foot-something lump of a man standing across from them, and his name is Goliath. It's a famous story, one that we probably could recite in our sleep. We could tell it backwards. We've been learning this since we were wee lads and wee girls in Sunday school, and yet it is a wonderful story. Out comes Goliath of Gath in verse 4, whose height was six cubits and a span. He was a brute, a lump of a man, a helmet of bronze on his head, armed with a coat of mail. The weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze, and he had bronze armor on his legs, and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. I like to imagine him as well with a hairy back uh, and in his downtime wearing a summit and a hanky on his head. He just strikes me as that big brute of a man that you'd see falling out of the pubs back home in East Belfast. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and a spearhead weighed 600 shekels of iron in verse 7, and his shield bearer went before him. So he looks impressive. He's a lump of a guy, but big lumps can be put on their back. But
Israel shrinks. And they shrink because Goliath comes. And he does something that my mother might have once said. He was shouting the odds. In verse 8 he says, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves, and let him come down to me. Or in other words, come and fight. What do you stand over there for if you're not going to come and fight? What are you you doing? And he sweetens the pot because he says in in verse 9, If you send someone out and he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. We will bend the knee. We will do what you say. Come out. All you've got to do is kill me and, and it's done. And by this stage in the history of these people, you know that the Philistines were a thorn in the flesh. Constantly raiding, constantly fighting, constantly battling. When we preached in Samuel a couple of weeks ago, uh, the Israelites had been under the Philistine boot for about 20 years. And here's this wonderful, shining opportunity. Destroy Goliath, kill Goliath, and we'll come and serve you. We'll come, uh, and you will be the master, and we will be the servants. But if I prevail, says this big lump of a man, if I kill your guy, then you shall be our servants, and you shall serve us. I defy the ranks of Israel this day, verse 10. Give me a man that we may fight together. That sounds a wee bit like one of my aunties on that neighbor. Give me a man that we may fight together. That's the story of her life. But folks, here's Goliath. He's shouting the odds, making it clear. Here's how it's going to be. And you think, come on, Saul. Here's the opportunity. You don't know it yet, but... The Lord has removed his anointing from you. But this is the opportunity to show these men and women that you are the king. You're the guy. You're going to ride down and shut this Philistine's mouth. You're going to win the battle. Everything's going to be good. But verse 11 tells us, When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. At that point in the story, we might scorn. We might think, come on. Come on. Why why would they shrink back? This is the people of God. They they will have seen and heard amazing things. This this is the people of God. Why don't they just trust God and get down there uh, and end this big guy's life and take the Philistines as their servants and it's a wonderful story and everything's amazing and brilliant. Why don't they just go in faith? Brothers and sisters, in my life, That's the problem. I am a man of faith, but all too often I lack faith. Paul writes to young Timothy in 2 Timothy 1 and 7, and you get the impression that perhaps Timothy is is shrinking a little bit. Paul urges him to to not be ashamed of the gospel and to keep on preaching it and to fan into flame the gift that was given to him. And he says to to Timothy in verse 7 of chapter 1, God gave us not a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And yet as I stand tonight at age 39, at times I look at that and I don't think that I have that spirit of power and love and self-control. I look at the way the world is going and and I shrink. I look at the situations that we are faced with and I shrink. I come across people who I know I should share the gospel with, but but I shrink. And what is that to do with? It is 
that spirit of fear. I don't say that to boast, of course. I, I have repented of that, and I, and I pray that the Lord would indeed take that from me and reduce the fear and increase the faith. But, but as it stands tonight, I'm not quite there. And brothers and sisters, you may be exactly in that place as well. See, if we are on the other side of this valley, very few of us are picking up a sword and running down that valley and swinging it wildly to take out this big mouth Goliath. Probably we're standing looking at this guy and we're telling ourselves, there's no chance we're going to be able to beat him. There's no chance we're going to be able to fix these difficulties. There's absolutely no chance we're, we're going to do anything about this. And you see, most churches today do not have a big nine-foot something lump of a Philistine as their main difficulty, but most churches will have problems that they look at and think, we can't fix them. We can't do anything about this. We may as well just sit and hope things change and cross our fingers and, and we'll see how it works out. I was at a meeting the other day of Down Presbytery. And in the next couple of years, uh, we're going to have three guys retiring uh, in various churches. We're going to have two others potentially uh, leaving in the next year for one reason or another. We're not a big presbytery. That's potentially five ministers out of the picture. Uh, and one of the retirees is from Kelly Lay. Kelly Lay, the work is shrinking. Uh, and I'm told, I'm not in Kelly Lay too much, but I'm told the work of the gospel in general in Kelly Lay is not strong. Uh, Cross Gar is vacant, and there are whispers in Cross Gar. Oh, it's, it's an increasingly nationalist town. back. We, we run and hide because after all, we, we can't take the gospel to them. They'll never believe the gospel. And yet I know deep inside, we've never really tried to take the gospel to them. As John and I talked about North and South in Korea, then we know the situation North and South on this island of Orange. And if we were to tell you the story of this island, then to our shame, Northern Ireland is the most evangelized place in Europe. The most evangelized. And you think, really, Scott, is it? Absolutely. Have you seen the number of churches in Balnehinch? And you multiply that across all the land. I remember once being on holiday, and this woman tagged me in, in Korean and said, oh, we're going to plant a church in Korean. It was like a red rag to a bull. Didn't quite get her by the throat. I thought, what are you planting a church in Korean for? And yet you go just across the border down south, dry land, parts land. Where, where are the, the planters? Where are the reformed men and women like me willing to take the gospel to, to a place that we've not been a long, since a long, long time ago? Folks, we shrink in the church of Jesus Christ. When we look at the difficulties, we, we fall back. We are filled with fear not fear, but I pray indeed that that would be different for each and every one of us. And you see, it's easy to shrink in the face uh, of a huge, mighty problem. David comes, of course, and, and he hears what Goliath has to say, and, and thankfully, David is going to shut him up. I, I love David's phrase, uh, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Here comes this young man of faith. 
And he's not going to have this. He's not going to have this big lad with a big mouth shouting the odds. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? See, if the Peters pull you over tomorrow or, or somebody annoys you or, or the wife burns the toast or the dog trips you up, I want you to call them an uncircumcised Philistine. What a title. What, a, what an insult. But David is filled with, with righteous anger. Who is this? That we should listen to him. That he should insult the armies of the living God. David's in the right place. He gets it. He's a man of faith. But everybody else, well, you know, you go and fight him if you want. You know, Saul will, will give you his daughter in marriage. He'll give you loads of money. He'll set your father's house free. You you fight him if you want. But, but sure, we'll wait here and, and see how you get on. And folks, again, most of us wouldn't be the David would be the other side of the fence because when contempt is poured out on the church of Jesus Christ, often it causes us to shrink back. And Goliath is nothing but contempt. The scriptures tell us here that he, he does this for 40 days. You can imagine him coming out day after day, this big brute, and you try to look all tough on the other side. You try to look like you're not scared. Uh, and out he comes and yet he stands and shouts the odds and he calls you names and he insults your God and he makes fun of you he threatens you and says, come on out and shut my mouth, and you don't. Folks, in the face of contempt, often we shrink back. And how often is it that in your life you have been faced with contempt? You're one of those stupid Christians, aren't you? You're, you're one of those individuals that believes that Jesus rose again from the dead. You're one of those people that, that thinks that God made this world in six days. You, you're one of these daft fools that, that trusts in God. We hear it all the time. I was listening to a show recently about how we will go to Mars and, and what we will do on Mars. And one commentator says, well, Mars is an opportunity for us not to repeat the mistakes that we have made on Earth. And so one of the mistakes that we won't make on Mars is we'll leave God on Earth, he said. We'll leave God on Earth. We'll let him stay there and we will go and we'll not do religion on Mars because it's stupid and, and foolish and we're we're moving beyond that. Folks, I would suggest that most of you have, have probably met a couple of times in your life someone who has nothing but contempt for the Christian faith. And faith shrinks in the face of contempt. But it's not just from the other side that David gets it, it's from his own side. He comes as his father commands him to to feed his brothers and, and to take some grub and to check on his brothers. But, but when Eliab, his eldest brother, heard that David was there, and David's saying, who is this big lad? Let's go and sort him out. Eliab's not happy. He's not coming and saying, David, are you sure you're going to fight this guy? Are you sure? Are you sure? He comes and he says in verse 28, why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. Eliab doesn't think that David's here for the right reasons. And you see the, the wee sneering dig he gets at him? Who have you left those few sheep with in the wilderness? Way home, shepherd boy. Way home and look after those few sheep. That's all you're good for. And in the face of such criticism, our faith shrinks back. My children went to another church. Well, they would have learned more because Sunday school is better than those other churches. If 
I had gone to another church, well, I would have learned more because the preaching's better in those other churches. If I went to this church that I've heard of, well, I would be such a happy individual because their women's ministry is second to none. Often, those sort of comments just dig the face clean off you. You're criticized. You're condemned. And, and contempt is poured upon us. And what happened? I'm not speaking for you. I'm speaking for me. What happens? Faith shrinks back. Faith gets a wee bit smaller and a wee bit less confident, so much so that you know God says, go take the land, but instead you have the door locked and snibbed and about 10 dead bolts at about 20 past 10 in the afternoon. Goliath is contempt and Goliath is criticism and even King Saul gets in on the act because David wants to go and fight this big dog. He wants to go and take him down. But Saul says to him in verse 33, David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth. And he has been a man of war from his youth. You're too young. You don't have the skills. You don't have the abilities. You're not going to be able to do this. You're not, you're, you're not fit for this work. It would take a, a mighty man of faith to do this. It would take a warrior to do this. It would take someone like Goliath, who's been training since he was a youth to do this. It's not you, David. It's not you. Goliath has contempt. Big brother has criticism, and Saul is cautious. I don't think you can do this. Folks, often in the church we hear that, don't we? We tell ourselves that. I, I think this is beyond us. I don't see this happening. I, I, I think this is just something that we cannot do. Sometimes we need to hear those voices, but I think half the time it comes from a place of fear. And when I read this, passage in the story and consider my own life, I know that all too often I don't want to go and fight Goliath. Don't rock the boat. You know, uh, we, we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. We don't want that person to leave. And we don't want that old doll to have a grumpy face. She'll have it anyway, but let's just try and keep everything steady. And we're called to make brave decisions, but we'll not make brave decisions. We'll make easy, lazy decisions because well, those are the easiest ones to make. Privately, publicly, in church, outside of church, often we aren't men and women of faith. Instead, we're men and women of fear. Because God gave us not a spirit of fear, but a power and love of self-control. Oh, for the reality of that verse to be evident in me and in you. Because David was man after God's own heart, because God was a, a God after an old man's heart, the heart of stone that he would replace with a heart of flesh. David is that young man. He comes with faith. He is unprepared to let this giant, this Goliath, run his mouth about the living God. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? And so we know the story. It is David who goes. And Saul says, take my armor. And David's not having that. Not having that. And we know what happens. He, he gets the, the five smooth stones from the brook in verse 40. Uh, he swings one. And I read this week that these things would go at about 100 to 150 mile an hour. He takes the head clean off Goliath. Goliath is dead. He stands over him, chops the head off. There's a great victory this day. And it is won by the young man of faith 
who doesn't shrink even though he's told no and told he's sorry. He doesn't shrink even though he's criticized and told, what are you here for? He doesn't shrink even though Goliath is full of contempt for his faith. He stands confident in his God that the Lord will give the victory. And my friends, I am fearful but still confident that that is the way I Tonight we have no Goliath down the street. We really don't, as far as I'm aware. Tonight there's no giant standing across a valley urging us to fight. But, but brothers and sisters, we have heard today about the nature of the battle, and it is all around us whether we like it or not. Whether in Korea or here in Northern Ireland, there are wars and battles to fight. Whether in Korea or in Northern Ireland, the spirit of Antichrist is abroad in these days. And if we don't think it's within the church, then we are fools and we kid ourselves. And if we don't think that there are harder days to come outside of the church, then we are fools and we kid ourselves. And so the challenge is, will we ride into battle with King Jesus? Or will we stay at the back with the horses, hoping for the best, that that someone's going to sort the problem, but hopefully they'll not involve us in it? You see, there are reasons for us to be entirely confident, and there are reasons for us to have a strong faith, because after all, faith is a receiving and resting in Christ as he is offered in the gospel. Christ is the object of our faith. And as we will, as we will hear in First John next week, John tells us in verse 8 of chapter 3, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. And the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. You get that? The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus, the true David, the King of kings, comes to destroy the devil. He comes to literally cleave off the serpent's head. He he crushes the serpent's head. And we know that we live in a day and age that is the last days, as the Apostle John said this morning. We know that that is the reality. And what are these days like? Well, John tells us in Revelation 17 and verse 14. He says, in these days they will make war on the Lamb. And yet the Lamb will conquer them, for he is the Lord of lords and the King of kings. And those who are with him are called and chosen and faithful. Called chosen and faithful. Not fearful in the presence of great evil. Not shrinking back in the presence of great opposition or or shying away from difficult decisions but with Christ and therefore faithful because the Lamb will conquer. See the Lord has come to destroy the works of the devil and he has done that at Calvary. Satan has been routed. He is on a chain today. He barks and he roars, but he knows that his time is short. John tells us that in Revelation 12. But friends, today we shrink back in the face of an enemy who has already been defeated. Today we shrink in the face of an enemy who barks, but has already been crushed. And I know at times the darkness causes us to flee, Christ has overcome the darkness. The darkness has not overcome him. And not only has Satan been defeated, but Christ comes and he 
he breaks the power of sin. Here is what Paul says in Colossians 2. You who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, you too were an uncircumcised Philistine. God has made you alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Friends, the wages of sin is death, but through faith in Christ, he has nailed this to the cross and it is forgiven. Why is it that we are so afraid when, when this is the reality? Why is it that we shrink when Christ has defeated Satan and sin and death? You see, when it comes down to it, the Goliaths in your life are, are not the things that you think. It's not that goat in your office who's always picking on you. And it's, it's not the worries that you're always carrying about and you can't seem to shake. And it's it's not even the illness that you've got or, or, or the, the age of your life and the feeling that perhaps you're in the final days or any of that. That's not the reality. Paul says in Hebrews 2 that there is a fear of death. And it is this that the devil plays on through, through sin. He is people in chains and through fear of judgment and death he has got them on the other side of the valley standing still and not embracing Christ as he is offered in the gospel but in Hebrews 2 and 14 to 15 we read that therefore the children share in flesh and blood and he himself Christ Jesus likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death that is the devil and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. My brothers and sisters, we have not been set free to continue being slaves to fear. We have not been forgiven to continue standing still, caught in the headlights of an oncoming evil world. We have been set free from sin and death and the devil by the king of kings who vanquishes our great enemy, not Goliath, but Satan himself. Friends, I pray tonight that my faith would grow and my fear would shrink. I pray that I would be a man like Peter Cartwright, perhaps, who, who isn't afraid to plant his feet and to proclaim the gospel. I pray for more courage and boldness when I bump into somebody in the street randomly, like that wee man last week I was telling you about. I pray that I would not fear in these days when the call is for faith, not fear. And if you think, well, Scott, how can this be? Because after all, we are but a small church. I am but a small individual. I am not a giant of faith. All too often I cry into my pillow at night. I'm worried about my kids. I'm worried about myself. I'm worried about my husband. I'm worried about Brexit. I'm worried about everything. How can this be? The Lord says in Jeremiah 9, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. 
these things, I delight, declares the Lord. Friends, John echoes that in chapter 5 of his first letter. He says that for everyone who has been born of God has overcome this evil, sinful world. By faith, brothers and sisters, that is you and me. Even in our fear and even in our doubts and even in our worst moments, we have overcome the world because we have been born of God. And this, says John, is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Friends, do not shrink. Do not fear. Do not hide. But instead, look on to Jesus, the King of Kings, who has won the war for his precious bride. Amen. And tonight, we thank God for his word.